Hello, my name is Michael Moya. And my name is Drew Brown. And this is Act 4. So, uh, this episode is Episode 2, and this is going to be titled A Theater Summer. Great title. So, um, so our first, uh, our first topic that we'll be talking about will be our vacation experiences. Vacation experiences are quite interesting. Some of us have not been on vacation, and some of us have been on a lot of vacation. So... I'd say one of my favorite experiences of having a vacation has been uh, Greece. I've been to Athens, and I've been to some parts outside of Athens, and it was quite an experience. We visited uh, some very um, awesome places like the Parthenon, the Acropolis, just like learning about the history of Greece and, you know, the best part of Greece, let's say. And we also stayed in this five-star hotel there. It was Possibly like one of the best hotels that I've been in. We had we had an all-star breakfast, let's say. They had everything you could offer or like anything you could think of for having breakfast. That's why like it was so freaking expensive. Probably the most expensive part of the trip. And yeah, that's just that's just all I can say about Greece is that it's that uh, like, you know, you don't have you don't have many countries that like offer that much. And that's why I thought like that was definitely like one of my best uh, vacation experiences. I've met an archaeologist that was working in Athens when I was coming home from Italy, actually. And uh, she found, I forgot her name though, but she found a, um, a very old piece of architecture, the oldest piece of architecture in Greece. Um, and she showed me pictures and all that stuff. It's like well, um, <clears throat> well built and all that stuff. It's an actual tower. It was, a, um, it was like an archer tower, basically. And it was a pretty interesting when they're sh- when she was showing it to me. So for my vacation experience, I went to Italy. <laughs> I was like, when you said Greece, I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. So I went to Rome, Italy, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, I think, the most cheapest um, vacation I've been on. Um, I've always mm. been to California and Vegas and all that stuff. Been to New York, but um, so the plane tickets weren't that expensive. Well, the, here's the reason: we're going out of the country. On Thanksgiving. So basically, people are coming into the country on Thanksgiving and not a lot of people are leaving for Thanksgiving. So they cheapen up the plane tickets. Now, my whole vacation was around $500. So that was pretty fun. We got to go to the Colosseum. We got to go to the Pantheon. We got to go to um, the Trevi Fountain. And um, basically, our breakfast is not as fancy as yours. But in our hotel, I, um, it was a very, you know, um, it, it, it was charming. It was not fancy, but it was charming. And uh, our breakfast was croissants and all that stuff. And uh, really, you only needed one and it will fill you up for the whole entire day, which was weird. Mm. <laughs> because I usually just like eat tons of donuts and all that stuff. But um, the, it just fills you up very fast. And so uh, my favorite part of the trip, though, was the Coliseum. And did you know the building of the Colosseum is at least half to the third of its size right now from its original state? Yeah. Because throughout history, people have taken that part Mm -hmm. to build their own stuff. Yeah. And the building, the Colosseum building, is not called the Colosseum or the Colosseum. It is its own separate building, and there used to be a statue right next to the building named the Colosseum. And people called the area the Colosseum. So that's where we got Colosseum from, and we still call it the Colosseum, even though the statue is gone, because the name stuck. 
yeah. but its original name was completely different. Mm-hmm. But it was built like a modern day football stadium, which was weird because they had Roman numerals for gates to go into to sit down and all that stuff. And it was like tickets were free as well. The government paid for your tickets in ancient Rome uh, because one of the emperors, when a uh, he go he went by a saying saying. The only way to make your people happy is by food and entertainment. So it was very interesting learning a lot of the uh, history. And um, so, you know, those uncomfortable stands that you sit at, like football games and all that stuff. You don't Mm -hmm. have any back uh, support and all that stuff. Basically, the seats for the Coliseum was like that for the men. And then on the top, top row where the sun is super hot and you can barely see on the ground. Mm-hmm. The women sat, but they had chairs and all that stuff. So I don't know who got it better off or not. Yeah. Weird way of entertainment, though. Yes. Watching people getting killed. Actually, in history, not a lot of people got killed in the Coliseum. It was, looked frowned, it was frowned upon. Like, Especially like during the gladiator battles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it was like one out of ten chance a gladiator would die. It was frowned upon that a gladiator uh, killed another person on there unless it was a slave or a prisoner mm-hmm. um hollywood kind of you know made up the fact that people killed each other on in the coliseum it yeah. was it was more like a football game in our time um people had their favorite gladiators and they went against each other and whoever was defeated was defeated mm-hmm. and went back home and uh trained again for the next yeah. day wasn't it decided by higher authority of like either uh if this guy should live or this guy should die not or really. or like your decision not like really actually it was more like for the prisoners and slaves, um, not for the gladiators. The gladiators, when they're defeated, um, they would they, the audience would throw riots if the glad if the emperor would be like kill the person, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the emperor never had a say for that. And um, basically, the only time the emperor had a say really was during the opening uh, acts of the Colosseum because it's not just uh, gladiator battles throughout the whole entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an all-day event. It could be a three-day event as well. And basically the morning would have a, um, executions. Um, the, about the evening time, there would be um, slaves and um, prisoners um, out in the middle of the field with actual animals, like any type of animal. Mm-hmm. And we had gla- a certain type of gladiators. There's multiple type of gladiators. These gladiators were special. Their specialty was to hunt. Mm-hmm. So they hunted for sport, showing the audience how they hunted elephants, tigers, and all that stuff. As the prisoners and the uh, slaves ran around getting eaten. That was the only really say and all that stuff. Yeah. And then the final act was the gladiators versus the gladiators. And they fought each other. And people outside of the Colosseum sold merchandise. For people's favorite gladiators. Hmm. No joke. Um, if so, if a gladiator died, they collected the blood from the body. And they sold the blood to uh, fans. And what they say the blood was about, the blood was basically, they said it was a cure for any disease. If they drank it mm-hmm. or rub it on every single day of their life. Interesting. And uh, they sold a lot. That's how, that's how you make a lot of money right there. Yeah. It, um, I mean, the Colosseum wasn't just about the gladiator battles. It, it was also used for crucifixions. Mm-hmm. It was also used uh, for like, yeah. And also it was used for um, for a man versus a, an animal. So yes. let's say like a gladiator versus a lion or yes, a gladiator yes. versus a tiger. Like, but honestly, but like for anything. the gladiator ones, it was controlled though. They mm-hmm. had 
quote unquote support. Yeah, that's true. But because like I don't know, wasn't like the lion or tiger like chained up? Uh, for the gladiators, yes. But for slaves and all that stuff. For entertainment, they gave the slaves armor and weapons and said, mm-hmm. go out there and have fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of something to laugh at, not at the same time. Yes. So it, the gladiators were, you know, treated better. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't slaves. They were yeah. actual, like, They were, le- they were celebrities, actually. Yes, they were actually celebrities. Um, but the Colosseum was not originally built for this purpose. It was originally built to show, reenact naval battles. Hmm. The Col- Interesting. The Colosseum was built inside a, like... A lake, basically. And when I went there, it was raining, mm-hmm. so it just flooded very fast. Um, but it's like a dried-out lake. And um, <clears throat> basically, what they do, they flood the arena and then show people how the soldiers was out in the, the Mediterranean Sea fighting on naval ships and all that stuff, and they just reenacted it. It was not like this naval team versus this naval team. It's like, this is how history happened, and... Showed it. Okay. So it was pretty interesting until one emperor is like, you know, let's peop- let's have mm-hmm. people fight each other. <laughs> Wasn't it also used uh, to uh, put on some plays? Yes, it was, and no one cared. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, if you had that much space, and it, and if it was the acoustics was good, it would be hard. It's basically like the Hale Center Theater, but like a hundred times bigger. Yes, but the acoustics was good though. I was I was on the battlefield. I was like literally there, and I feel like my my voice could have carried. Uh, throughout yeah you'd have to project super loud mm-hmm. like the loudest you could ever like project. Oh, you'd yes. probably have to yell your lines yeah <laughs> it, it had been great acoustics okay um but because of the romans though the romans made so many animals go extinct they had okay so you know like what animals i don't know they know they made a lot of animals go extinct by just hmm. dragging them from africa or the middle east and dragging them over to italy and letting them fight to the death. And I've learned this. They made so many species just disappear. And that's the thing. So that's why unicorns don't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, but the, the doors to bring in the animals were so, so big. Because they would bring giraffes and elephants. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff. Hmm, lucky those things uh, still exist. Oh, yes. I don't know what our culture well, would be like without those iconic animals. Elephants would be are so far, you know, going down the drain. Mm-hmm. Sadly. But... And then underneath the floor of the uh, battle floor, uh, they had a um, chambers where they had a uh, the animals put in and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and they raised them up to the floor and all that stuff. That's really cool mm-hmm. and very interesting experiences on how much you can learn about a coliseum, like on a iconic landmark in a country. You know what made me mad though? What? So it's an iconic landmark, and it's one of the most famous landmarks yeah, out in there. the world. Graffiti everywhere from tourists. What? Yes. I can't believe it. Tourists would be going there and Mm -hmm. writing their names or initials on the Colosseum because, I don't know, and it made me mad. It was all over. It's not like one place, oh, Mm -hmm. look, there's a name right there. No, it's their name, 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 name. It's like going on the Brooklyn Bridge and Mm -hmm. seeing all the names written out on it. I mean, like the Brooklyn Bridge, like... Doesn't it, it, I mean it doesn't exact well, it encourages the New York culture. Yes, it does. But, but in Rome, Italy, that's still, not the culture there. I mean, it's not just Italy, it's just like the whole world. Like the whole yes. world has respect for it. But yeah, landmarks like that like shouldn't be abused at all. Yes. Whatsoever. 
I mean, I don't care if you want to like engrave your name on there just to say, oh, hey, here's my name on the Coliseum. Mm. Uh-huh, I'm famous. No, that's not how it works, buddy. That's just disrespectful to the country and disrespectful to the culture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that's a very good vacation experience. I would recommend to go to Rome, Italy. Just oh, for sure. be careful of some people trying to sell bracelets and all that stuff mm-hmm. because they'll try to give you a high five and they'll grab your hand and put a bracelet on you and say you owe them $20. Yeah. So they're kind of sly about that. Mm-hmm. All stuff. Um, what has that happened to you? No, I've witnessed it. But what happened? I almost got pickpocketed there. Really? Yeah, I, there's a lot of pickpocketing in one of the in all those countries, possibly. I, I had my I had my money and all that stuff in a necklace in my shirt, mm-hmm. and I just felt someone reach their hand inside my pocket. Mm-hmm. But they're so sly about it because you don't feel it, and it was scary. I don't get it. Like how? That's just impossible. I know. How I know they, how they do that so easily. They, they basically. Tap you, mm-hmm. and then they put one finger inside, and then they leave, and then mm-hmm. come back and try to, you know, scoop it out with their pinky or something like that. Something like that. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I mean, like, I would never want to learn that skill because that's just... Pitpocketing? Yeah. I, I have learned a skill of pitpocketing, um, but only for comedical stuff. I have taken some of my friends' phones and see, see how long they'll notice mm-hmm. as I put it in an obvious place. Um, one time I took my friend's phone... From his back pocket and put it on his windshield of his car because mm-hmm. he was looking all over in his car. For yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm just waiting, waiting. He's like, oh, here it is. What's your uh, dream vacation? Rome, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's weird. I want to retire there. All stuff. Would it be a bad place? I mean, the pizza and pasta is world class there. Yes. Probably the, it is the birthplace, so. Yes, it is. Except for the tourist spots. The tourist spots buy cheap stuff and it's mm-hmm. terrible. The airport was out in the middle of a field. Really? <laughs> yes. Like oh, a farm. <laughs> <laughs> I landed. I was like, are you sure this is Rome? <laughs> um, I think my dream exp- my dream uh, vacation experience is uh, London, England. You want to go there? Yeah. It's the... It's... I think, yeah. It's known to be uh, the birthplace of football or really? soccer, let's say. And I don't know, like the culture there is amazing. I definitely want to see Big Ben, the London Eye, like just like go to a museum and learn about the culture instead of like, I don't know, learning it in a classroom here in America. I, I, I want to go all over Europe, specifically, <coughs> um, specifically not just Europe, mm-hmm. but I want to visit where the Romans have been and left uh, some stuff there mm-hmm. um, because, sorry, getting a text, um, because... I'm honestly super fascinated by Roman um, history and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to talk about from that vacation, though. Oh, I bet. Um, you can use Spanish there and get by very easily. I'm trying to think. So, we got a horse and carriage ride for about $100. Um, to go from the Pantheon and everywhere around the Pantheon. And uh, we went to the Trevi Fountain there. And the Trevi Fountain is the most beautiful fountain in all of the world. And basically, there's a legend. If you throw your, if you throw a coin inside the Trevi Fountain, you, it, legend has it, you will come back to Italy again, to the Trevi Fountain again. Now, if you throw the coin behind your back, and if it lands inside the uh, fountain, then you'll come back to Italy, come back to the Trevi Fountain with your true love. Guess what I threw? How I threw it. You threw it behind your back. <laughs> yes, I did. From a very far distance and got it in. Okay. That's going to that's gonna tell something in, in your future, for sure. I mean, if the legends are true. All right, so... Let's the, move on to our next topic. Our next topic will be Pride and Prejudice. 
That has happened in Snow College for four days for four performances. Yes, and I played Usher. So, <laughs> how was that? Uh, it was so much fun. I used the British accent the whole time. People actually believed in me. <laughs> well, did you tell me like one night where like people like went along with it? Some people did. Um, the last night though, there was another Usher there, mm-hmm. and um, I forgot his name. Was it Caden? Yeah. Uh, yes, actually. Hopefully he doesn't hear this. Anyway, <laughs> I convinced him to. Um, I convinced him that I was British, actually. And um, I told, I was like, so, I have a nice American accent if you want me to uh, tell it to you. And he was like, yeah, sure. So I, so I started talking like this. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me in shock. And he's like, am I being fooled? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, where are you from? I'm, I said, I'm from Dublin. Now, those of you who know geography, Dublin's in Ireland. Yes, Dublin is in Ireland. <laughs> so Not in <laughs> England. <laughs> So just wanted to. I just threw that out there to see if he would like catch on, and he did not. I was like, "Well, I'm British to him now." <laughs> so how was uh, Pride and Prejudice for you, like backstage and the p- progression yeah. of doing all that? The experience was was pretty awesome. I mean, I don't have any words to describe it. Um, just the first day of, of auditions, I read the side of uh, Mr. Wickham, and I thought it went really well. Um, and then I got called back for Mr. Darcy. Mr. Bingley and Mr. Wickham, and I thought auditions were okay because they didn't they didn't exceed my expectations. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting cast as Fitzwilliam and Mr. Lucas, and I thought like my first reaction was that uh, I was a bit bummed out because I wanted to get like at least like Mr. Bingley or Mr. Wickham, but but I knew like Mr. Darcy was going to get cast by a veteran mm-hmm. uh, actor at Snow College and mm-hmm. shout out to Eric cuz he dominated that he role. He did. I love his I love them especially so with that accent. The RP accent. Yes. So, um you know I'm just going to talk in my RP for a little bit. I'll talk in British if you want me to. Sorry about that guys if you are listening. <laughs> um in our first day of rehearsal, we did table work, so break, basically breaking down of uh, the translation because the language back then was a, like a little bit different between Shakespeare and modern. So it was oh, like yeah. in the middle. It kind of had like a mixture, but mainly it could be. But basically, the beginning of a new era. Yes, it can be understood most of the time. There's just some like expressions where we had to like clarify. Yes, and you know, just like clean up. So we did that for two days, and then on our third rehearsal, we actually started blocking. Yay! So the set didn't fully come out. So we used um, so we used uh, we didn't use like it wasn't the stage wasn't blank. We mm-hmm. used part of the set, just mm-hmm. not like the whole entire thing because it wasn't painted. Mm-hmm. And I thought that went pretty decent. Uh, Melinda told us to project more because we were not going to use mics for the show, but we did. You use, guys use mics. I heard that we used uh. There were these, like, mics on the end of the stage. Oh, stage mics. Yes. yes. Okay. I do not know what those are called, but we use those, and I thought it was actually a very awesome experience yes. to project my, my, and my, live in the moment. My high school, we did stage mics all the time. In fact, I did two plays without any mics on someone on mm-hmm. someone, and only did it with stage mics. And honestly, in my opinion, I feel like that was better than having someone wear a yes, mic. Yes, because I feel like if you don't use a mic, you can actually like be your, like feel like you are yes. like in the moment. Yes. Instead of like having that like itchy, itchy like thing on your cheek. Yes, I love even stage on your mics. Head. In fact. I try to I try to convince stage crew to use stage mics uh, instead of real mics for West Side Story, and mm-hmm. even the director kind of thought that would be a good idea. But you know, stage crew was all like, "Oh, sorry, we can't hook this up." Uh, 
Hey, freaking lazy people. I'm just kidding. Stage crew is actually the most hardworking oh, yes, people they are. on the stage. They no are. joke. Um, so how was it uh, behind the scenes during a performance inside Pride and Prejudice? So whenever whenever I wasn't on for a scene, I was usually chilling in the makeup room, mm. usually either on my phone or just <laughs> talking with others. But there was this one particular guy, shout out to Parker, who uh, was playing Minecraft <laughs> in between now, scenes. What console was he playing? Not Minecraft. He was playing it on his computer. On his computer? Yes, online. Ah, Not that's... on the PS4, Xbox. Oh, I thought he would bring a Switch or something. Oh, no, definitely not. I'm not a huge uh, gamer guy for Switches. Ah, I have a Switch back at home. So that's fun. And yes, and then we, I don't know. Sometimes I would listen to some uh, some music, uh, specifically mm. uh, Spirit Phone from Lemon Demon. Mm. Spirit Phone is a great album, by the way. I recommend it to all and every one of you. Um, and I would also uh, just you know talk to some of the stage crew. Um, I would sometimes dance, <laughs> dance. Let's say because I don't know. Sometimes. Sometimes I say dance for some reason, but then during the last two weeks of rehearsal, like Andy came in and told and told us that it's dance, not dance. I've been hearing some actors' experiences with Andy with the show of Pride and Prejudice, and mm-hmm. it sounds so magical. I heard someone. I heard um, shout out to um, Boston. Um, what I heard was he was extremely. Uh, funnier and yeah, also energetic energetic and all that stuff mm-hmm. and then uh andy comes in and mm-hmm. tells him to be more calm and be and more boring. serious and boring mm-hmm. and uh it made the play a bit more funnier actually because yes. literally he's the only one on stage taking things seriously and it made it so weirdly funny yes i mean like funny that like he took it super seriously yes. Yes. Instead of like, I don't know, going through the motions like, ah, da 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 I, I now, like, after that, I now wonder if I would have, if I could go back in time and try to make my character, Officer O'Hara, more serious and more boring instead mm-hmm. of that. But I'm not sure if that could work. <laughs> I feel like it could, though. Because when my school did it for a one-act uh, mm. festival, yes. at, at the end of the year that we did, we did a... We did a shorter version of Arsenic and Old Lace, yes. and the guy who played Officer O'Hara was a little bit energetic, but he was very, like, he tried to make the character a little bit more boring and, like, unassuming to what was happening to I'm, him. I made mine, like, an energetic loser, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, uh, where he was super excited over nothing, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> those people are the best, and those characters are the best to play, too. Yes. Um, and yeah, uh, Melinda and Gavin were amazing directors. Oh, I can imagine. And I mean, shout out to Gavin. You are the best person to talk to backstage. He hates me right now because I shaved my beard. Oh. That was a weird accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have the best beard, by the way, Gavin. No joke. Yes. We love you. Yes, I shaved my beard into a goatee. Mm-hmm. From from your uh oh wait what was that? Yes, a I goatee. Shaved, yeah, a goatee. <laughs> oh yeah, you showed us that. Yes, it was a, t- a terrible idea. Anyway, what were you saying? Um, from your experience and from your point of view as an usher, uh, what would you rate the production out of? Uh, let's say ten. Okay, so this is my first time watching Pride and Prejudice, like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd give it an eight. I watched it three times. But mm-hmm. I could not bear myself to watch it the fourth time because I don't know the English language was getting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just I stood I stood out in the lobby I, uh, and waited for uh, remembering the cues from uh, ending of Act One to open up the doors and same thing with I um 
with uh, ending of the play. Mm-hmm. But you guys did very well. I, on my own opinion, you guys did very well. I love this production a lot. And I tried to get my roommates to come. Like, only two came out of the six. Oh. So I'm going to bug them even more if I'm in these next two plays, if mm-hmm. I am. I think, you, I think you will, for sure. I hope so. Like, I can't say for sure, but mm-hmm. I hope so. All my editions are kind of like that. I mean, if not curious, then I think Miracle on 34th. Oh, yes. And we will have reviews for that in the next uh, few episodes, which, so stay tuned in. Um, so, yeah, curious, uh, I, I'm hoping to be ensemble for that play, or maybe a villain, because I need a villain role in my resume. Um, all right, so the next thing we'll be talking about play production setups. So what basically other plays have you been in where uh, a product where it's kind of unusual or something new to productions that you've seen backstage? Hmm. Um, I can't exactly think of a perfect production to suit that topic, but um, in our one act play, uh, Dark Road, in my senior year, we had a very unique uh, production setup. So we used a table and a fence and... That was it. Really? And we used only those two objects to establish the setup for mm. Germany. Because it takes place during Nazi Germany. Okay. And I thought it was actually perfect because we used the table for um, an interrogation room. Okay. Because um, the main character investigates the villain in a jail room. So we use that, the table, just the table to establish that. And then we used the fence to establish the... The concentration camp, okay. which was honestly like perfect, Be, um, because what I learned from that is that you don't need like an all-star setup to establish a setting. You can literally use like one object or like one like piece of furniture to establish a setting. And I thought like because we got second in both region and state for those plays, and like the other plays that we watched after we performed in region. They they had a very, very good set, especially uh, Corner Canyon, who did uh, Peter and Wendy. They, they had these boards that could fold up and down, mm. and it was a very, very great set. They got first place in the region, but they didn't place top three in state, but we placed second. So I was nice. like, wow, amazing. So, yeah, that's... I thought that was like a huge eye-opener for sets, because you don't have to like overwork yourself in doing sets and i don't know why i'm still in my rp accent (laughs) i know um so i have a few memorable production setups and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um all of them seem relatively the same like nothing unique between all of them except for like maybe the burden and mary poppins Mm -hmm. Uh, mary poppins uh when i was in it i was the park keeper and i was uh i was a robson a or robson i depending on how you guys say it Mm -hmm. and um well, we never got the kite until opening night. So we never rehearsed with the kite for Let's Go Fly a Kite. Which, if those of you who don't know, the kite goes off, goes flying off the stage and comes back down for Mary Poppins. Hmm. We never practiced it. And uh, so during uh, intermission, we closed the grand curtain so we can practice it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carol did not like the idea of closing the grand curtain for intermission. And, um, but we had to, (laughs) so we had a fishing pole, we had a fishing line with the, uh, kite and we Mm -hmm. did it twice and we're like, okay, it'll work. So we did it. It snapped halfway through flying up, uh, to 
the thing, so I panicked. And I picked up the kite and I tried to throw it off stage, went straight down to my feet. I did it again, went straight down to my feet and I was panicking, like not visibly, Mm -hmm. but in my head I was super panicking. So I picked up the kite and I walked off stage, handed it to a stage crew member and walked back on stage looking at the kite thing. Pretending that it's flying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And I I was just, like, super nervous. Uh, Another production setup. Okay, uh, uh, before you continue, I just want to say that, like, the funniest part of theater and probably, like, the best part of theater is, like, the mistakes. The mistakes, yes. Honestly, like, it's just that moment where, like improv comes in yes and like where it means like you can't panic but like you panic inside, inside your so head you literally think of the most stupidest things that actually work out <laughs> walk off stage no i was super calm was walking off stage mm-hmm. super calm with a smile on my face get off stage panicked <laughs> just threw the <laughs> kite at some guy and ran off stage with a smile back on my face again oh my god <laughs> uh, theater is live um you were saying uh so the burden you, i talked about this my last thing mm-hmm. uh so we we just for like the beginning production we only had chairs and all that stuff and then the day we were going to uh region and it was being held at our high school mm-hmm. but the majority of the judges are our rival high school they got first place i wonder why they didn't place in state mm-hmm. um but so <laughs> We were trying to figure out how to make the desks for the classroom scene to go on fast mm-hmm. and uh, to go on quietly. And so we all had the idea, let's pick up the desks and all that stuff to go on. And these desks are big. It's connected with a chair. And it's like mm-hmm. it's not like the standard desk that we have yeah. in college. It's more like... It's just like the standard high uh, school desk. It, right? it, no, it's big. It's like clunky, big, and all that stuff. There's no, there's no armrest mm-hmm. or anything. It's just... The chair goes under and mm-hmm. up as a desk and all that stuff. And it was oh, weird. Okay. So the legs were like basically skis. And so we're trying to figure that out. And it was too big for like one person to carry and like comfortably, comfortably carry. Mm-hmm. And I think it was me and like one other dude had the idea to put carpet underneath the uh, desks to like slide them across mm-hmm. without any a, um, problem. And that seemed to work. We had a door. Um... We had a door that broke because someone slammed it too hard. I think it was the lead. Anyway, um, but someone slammed the door too hard and it broke. And I was oh, backstage geez. and it was like, it was wobbling a lot and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> but those seems like uh, some production setups that I might mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, you know, think of anything else. Yeah. Um, so our next uh, topic that we'll be talking about would be our audition experiences. Oh, scary. So... That is one of the most nightmaric things you can think of as a theater person. Oh, yeah, especially when you make it to the next level and <laughs> make it even scarier. Oh, yes. I, like, in my, I don't know about, over here it didn't seem like competition or anything, but yeah. over in my high school, it was like competition. People would kill another person just to see, just to not make sure they don't come. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, my audition experiences have been really weird. My first audition <laughs> for uh, Seven Brides with Seven Brothers, my audition song was from Panic at the Disco. <laughs> and it Death was of a Bachelor. Death of a Bachelor. And, and guess what? I he d- sang that. I sang that with a Bluetooth earpiece in my ear so I can, re- <laughs> so I can remember the pitches and lyrics. 
<laughs> and basically, from the director's point of view, he's saying that acapella. Yes. <laughs> the director's point of view, I sing that acapella. Sorry, Mrs. McGovern, if you are hearing this right now. Um, <laughs> she didn't like me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I got the part Frank. And I was like, I didn't know if that was a good part or not. And mm-hmm. I went up to my mother. And I said, so, yeah, I'm one of the brothers. Uh, his name's Frank. And my mom, like, stopped. No, you're ensemble. This is your first play. This, you're ensemble. I was like, is that ensemble? No, that's one of the brothers. That's, like, a basically supporting lead. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> then uh, right after that, Shrek, honestly, one of my best auditions I've had. Mm-hmm. Well, callbacks. I did uh, My Name from Oliver as my audition piece. Mm-hmm. It went pretty well. Uh, they they asked me questions like, have I acted before? And I said, just that one play. And mm-hmm. they were kind of, you know, confused and excited at the same time. I couldn't tell. <laughs> and I got callbacks for Farquaad, Donkey, and Shrek. I wanted to be Donkey. Mm-hmm. I failed at the Donkey callbacks. I failed at the Farquaad. Like, I super failed them. Like, like how? Were you like, on? I, like, forgot lyrics. Mm-hmm. I forgot my choreography. I forgot everything. So I was like, Shrek's next, and, I, and that's the lead, and mm-hmm. I... I messed up the other two. I'm going to mess this up. So with that in my mind, I kind of was super calm because I had nothing to lose for. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing to lose. And so I went in and we we're singing, I think, Build a Wall. Mm-hmm. And there was like seven guys there. And uh, they're all like, you know, they're very competitive and all that stuff. Yeah. And after when I did the Build the Wall part, like the belting part, mm-hmm. um, I learned a little tip how to build even louder and better mm-hmm. and save some more air. And um, <clears throat> so I did that. And I had a, like a grand vibrato baritone, rich baritone mm-hmm. uh, sound. And like after that, I was like, I messed this up. And I looked over at the guys and they're all jaws dropped. I'm like, I think I did good. <laughs> so I sat <laughs> back down quietly. <laughs> and then the next morning I went to the, uh, went to the call list and I got Shrek and I was like, Oh dear, this is gonna be fun, I guess. Then I got an ego, and I hated my life after that. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, talk about that video! On don't talk about that video. <laughs> I don't. No, let's not talk about that video. Um, I, I say, I say, we can possibly mention the video one day if, let's say, we get fifty thousand likes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if we get fifty thousand likes, I'm gonna die. That's that's fifty thousand people to listen in, then they all like. I'll be like. um let's see from my audition experiences um it was really scary um my first uh real audition was in high school and because like the other auditions like i like got in because of connections Mm -hmm. but um for this one it was a it was mary poppins ah and i sang you know, step in time, even though that was oh, no. that, that was an ensemble no. song. And freaking heck. And it's part of the show, too. Yeah, and I felt, like, <clears throat> so bad afterwards. But then I ended up getting uh, cast as a chimney man. Ah, chimney sweep. That's mm-hmm. nice. I, I wanted know. to be a chimney sweep. And then my next audition was high school musical in my ah. sophomore year. And, you know, with my sophomore mind, <laughs> I sang We're All in This Together. Why? I don't know. Literally, <laughs> the I was not like experienced in like audition technique okay. or like what to do at auditions. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I was so stupid, and I, I needed more experience. Clearly. I don't know what was worse, my my Panic at the Disco audition or <laughs> that. 
Okay, uh, so I ended up singing that song, and I got cast. Well, I didn't get any callbacks, Okay, obviously. So <laughs> I got cast as a, uh, as a jock, uh, uh, part of a Troy Bolton's basketball team. Uh-huh. And I, I enjoyed that role a lot. And my next, uh, okay, my next, aud- my next audition experience was Into the Woods. Okay. And I couldn't find, like, a really good song uh, to audition Did for. Did you use Into the Woods? Yes, but this time I did not use an ensemble song. Okay. Because I was going for the part of Cinderella's Prince or did, Rapunzel's Prince and Jack. Did you use his song? I used Agony. And oh, I actually I actually thought it went pretty well. Actually, I put that in my audition song list just to see if I should test out using Agony or not mm-hmm. for my vocal range. Yeah. But I'm not sure. So I used that song, and I ended up getting a callback for three rules. Or for four, I think. So mm-hmm. I got called back for um, the narrator. Oh. I got called back for Cinderella's Prince. I got okay. called back for Rapunzel's Prince. Okay. And I got called back for the wolf, too. And I was so freaking excited because, like, I mean, I haven't got called back for a musical in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So I was I was essentially going for all roles, no matter what. So I put forth my best efforts in all of them. That's me right now in college. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up getting uh, cast as Cinderella's Prince. Oh, and nice. I was so proud of myself after that. <clears throat> Because I knew that, like, if I if I got like a lead role in this one, like, even I was a senior too, so I got a I got an opportunity, would, but I wouldn't take anything for granted. Would you believe me if I told you that I witnessed someone eat Clor- Clorox wipes in an audition? Clor- he ate Clorox wipes. Yes. Some okay. Okay. I I from where from where you lived and from all the experience you told me, yes, I would believe it. So shout out to Adam, <laughs> who's uh, auditions for Arsenic and Old Lace, and uh, he got it was no it was callbacks, and he got called back for Teddy for Teddy mm-hmm. Roosevelt, and so in his little reading his aside and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it was in a classroom when we we're doing it, and um, well he looked around the classroom and he saw. Clorox wipes as a, uh, he was doing his aside. Mm-hmm. In the middle of his aside, he opens it up, takes a Clorox wipe out, and puts it in his mouth while there's other dialogue with other people playing uh, other characters uh, talking. And we were all shocked that he just ate Clorox and was sitting there like, what's going on? The director was laughing. <laughs> we were just like... What's going on? Is that a character choice or something? That was a character choice. What the frick? And like, and like, we were just like super shocked. And, um, and then right after the aside and like the aside was over, Mm -hmm. he went out and just drank as much as much water as possible that the director led him to. Oh yeah. Guess what part he got after that? (laughs) He got Teddy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was going to say like the main role, uh, which was, uh, Mortimer. Mortimer. Yeah. Mortimer. Uh, Mortimer, uh, the uh, the person that played Mortimer in my mm-hmm. high school, he got two leads in a row, which pretty impressive. I uh, he's one of the smartest people I know. Mm-hmm. His name is Preston. Shout out to you, Preston. Um, so he got Mortimer Brewster in Arsenic, and right after that, he got Scrooge in Scrooge the Musical. Oh, that sounds. And cool. he was so good at both of those parts. Mm-hmm. He can play an old man very well. Nice. <laughs> So after my experience with uh, Into the Woods, I I like knew like what audition songs I had in mind for mm-hmm. for my next audition. That was a musical, mm-hmm. and it was Newsies, and I did a One Jump Ahead, which was it is a great song by the way from a great musical. And I think my future auditions my future audition songs would be uh, My Petersburg from Anastasia mm-hmm. or Why God Why. 
from Miss Saigon, which is two great audition songs, by the way. And I've been practicing them, and they're they're a work in progress. And I think I'm gonna audition either one of those songs for the musical this year at Snow. Nice. Um, I I don't know what songs I should put up in for my lineup for the rest of the for the lat for the next mm-hmm. musical. I'm trying to think about that right now. Um, but I had an audition in my head for oh yes for Mary Poppins, Carol Forge. Uh, before that, we had uh, either UTA, mm-hmm. no, it was Region, and I went to Region with a monologue, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm going to be using for this um, audition, and it's a very nerdy monologue about a kid wanting to get detention because the girl that he likes, that's super abusive, is in mm-hmm. detention, and um, so basically, uh, Carol Forge is well known of just uh, producing uh, Oliver constantly. The majority of the plays that she has produced is Oliver twist mm-hmm. so she's kind of sick and tired of it so i did not know that i came in with my name from oliver twist and uh so i sang that uh because it was my only song with a british accent mm-hmm. and um she looked at me and then looked at her like little uh casting table and mm-hmm. then she said you know we should do oliver again she's super sick and tired of oliver just hearing that after mm-hmm. my audition piece i was super happy <laughs> because apparently I did it super villainous, and she never thought of making, you know, Bill Sykes, like, a super, super evil to the point where mm-hmm. how I sang the song. Um, like, oh, uh, super scary. I scare people when I sing that song. Um, oh, my gosh. I want to I wanna see you do this song. Um, I remember when I was doing this to present it for a little competition. Mm-hmm. I had to present it in front of my class, and everyone was on their phones. And I still remember one person on their phone in the front row just not caring. And mm-hmm. when I did the part of uh, my name where Bill Sykes yells out his name, mm-hmm. um, when I did that, she <laughs> threw her phone up, up in, the, in air. the air. <laughs> so, I don't know, like, you guys won't see this, but like, I don't know, like this or something? Yes. She, no, no, it was uh, like past her head, but she caught it. Oh my God. But like, it scared everyone though. And like, I after that, I was shaking a lot because, you know, there's a lot of nerves. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I did that and she was like, you know, we should get to do Oliver again. And I was like, mm-hmm. yes. My uh, Carol and uh, my uh, drama teacher, Mr. Henry, said if they did Oliver, I'd be their Bill Sykes. So I was like happy. And then I did my monologue. Over at Region, Carol LaForge um, judged me with this monologue. Mm-hmm. So as I was in the middle of the monologue, she's like on her paper and she looks up at me super like shocked mm-hmm. with her eyes open. She's like, I know that monologue. <laughs> I heard it at Region. Are you the guy? I was like, I am the guy. <laughs> and Small world. I, honestly, I think that's one of my best auditions. Not like callbacks, but mm-hmm. my best audition. Yeah. Because having a very scary woman um, that is well known of like, you know, killing people off stage mm-hmm. um, to give me compliments is such a is such a fun yeah. thing to have. That's what I always strive for. Like I want like I don't want to like purpose like purposefully like impress them Mm. i like want to like you know get to know them Mm. and then just be shocked that they're impressed yeah i just want to like earn earn their respect yes that's like my ultimate goal my worst audition though is uh i'm using this song for my next audition but i i'm the song i forgot the lyrics oh dear (laughs) and i muttered a lot and it was for uh it was for guys and dolls and I muttered a lot, and I forgot my lyrics. And the director knew me, 
Mm -hmm. was the one that cast me as Shrek in a lot of good roles and all that stuff. I love mm -hmm. him so much. And um, <laughs> I just, I got done with my song and I was like, in my head, I'm like, I messed up. Everyone here hates me. And the, the director looks at me and he's like, so Michael, how is everything today? I was like, oh, good. We, we had a full-on conversation mm -hmm. for about, like, five minutes. After of, like, the song? A, after the song. Just for, like, during the audition part where his whole casting panel was there. He was like, mm -hmm. why are you talking to Michael? Mm -hmm. By the way, they're all students. So, mm -hmm. you know, more competition. Anyway, um, Twella is very competition-heavy. Um, yeah. But, so, they're all like, why are you talking to Michael? So, me and the director had a good, on con good conversation. So, I was sitting there. I was walking back. I was like, we had a good conversation. I think we're, I, I think we're going to, you know... Give me a callback, hopefully. I got a callback. And uh, exactly how I did my Shrek thing. I mm -hmm. did it for Sky. It did it perfectly, quote-unquote perfectly. Um, we did a uh, the song where he's trying to find love, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he'll know when his love comes or whatever. And um, I, I did it to the way where the lyrics matched up to my actions very well. Mm -hmm. That I... Um, and I was hoping this person was a new actress when I was doing this. And she turned away, away from me. And I was like, this is what I wanted. So the lyrics, and I'll stop and I'll stare at that face in the throng. And I belted out throng. Mm -hmm. And um, I did that. And as I did that, I saw a pastor with the girl audience. And they're all like, <laughs> they're all smiling. I was like, I'm doing well. And um, so after that, I got casted as a... Uh, guy for a tree for the beginning trio and never again to be seen mm -hmm. and um the students casted that and literally there was kind of like a little tiny riot because i didn't get sky mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of people quit <laughs> really and they told me it was that reason literally i, I calmed myself down the day i calmed myself down i went to film class and one of the people that uh uh one of the people there literally went up to me put his hand on my shoulder mm -hmm. and he leans over to me and he said, you've been fucking robbed. And I was like, I was super calm. And then after that, I slammed my hand on the table. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I hate when that happens. I really do. Like where you, you feel so good about like this callback. Yes. And then like, I mean like everyone, like the whole entire room is like filled with like positive energy. Yes. And that, that means that like you did really well. E even if like the director says like, wow, that was awesome. Like you can tell mm -hmm. by his facial expressions. Yes. But then like in the end, no, no, get screwed no, the over. director was like, his eyes popped out. He was like, whoa. Like, yeah. Like the, honestly, one of my best callbacks as well made me feel the best ever. And like, I was like, yes. And a lot of people, a lot of people mm -hmm. left. And, like, everyone knows in the room that, like, you're going to get that part. Yes, and then, but then in the end... It's like, I didn't get the part, and everyone's like, so you're saying Michael is a double? No, 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 he's, he's not the part. And the students cast this. The students did. <laughs> never, never oh, by the get way, that job. By, by, by the way, one of the people that was casting got yeah. that part. Oh. Casted himself, and then casted his best friend there. And apparently there was a fight going on. How about just leave it to the director? Just yeah. leave it plainly and, to the and, director. And, and that same guy got the lead for the last play, West Side Story. And he was casting as well. Wow. <laughs> so that kind of says a lot. And Yep, that's just, that's not fair. Yes. It's completely biased. In fact, I can show you in some of my comments that people still complain about it to this day. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, I guess that's a role that you have to pursue in the future. Yes, I'll be Sky in the future. A Hispanic Sky. Um, One more thing before we move on. Is it me or, I don't know, do Shakespeare auditions uh, 
like for me, I think they're a lot more comfortable than musical auditions Mm -hmm. because in my first audition for a Shakespeare play, which was Richard III, I did a Romeo's uh, balcony monologue and Mm -hmm. I felt so good about it and I got a call back Mm -hmm. and um, I ended up getting cast as Earl Rivers Mm -hmm. and uh, Captain James Blunt which were ensemble roles, but I really loved uh, Earl Rivers. I I thought that like I could connect with him very well. And another audition was a, a Midsummer Night's Dream where I did a, a, a monologue from Much Ado About Nothing. It was a... He had like a dog character name, mm-hmm. but I don't remember what it was. Um, it was literally one of my best Shakespeare auditions ever. <laughs> like I made I made him laugh. So hard. The director, yeah. uh, shout out to Jason, you're amazing, and I forever respect you. Um, and he, I got called back for, uh, it was a Midsummer Night's Dream, so it was a, uh, it was Demetrius, uh, Lysander, Puck, and another role that was part of uh, Nick Bottom's band. I also mm-hmm. got called back for Nick Bottom, too. I got called back for a lot of roles, but then a huge bummer that like still like haunts me to this day was that I kind of like, oh, I overthinked everything. Like, I thought I was going to get any of those roles, so I was, like, <coughs> a little bit cocky. and We all have those. Yeah. I mean, I was so sad afterwards. I got cast as a person that was that was made up, that wasn't in the original uh, character list for A Midsummer Night's Dream. So I was basically screwed over or, like, not seen for any of those roles because, I don't know, let's say my pride got to me, and I was really bummed throughout the whole production. Like, it meant nothing to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I just regret, I regret that day. But my next year, when I did Coriolanus, I I came in with a very humble attitude. Mm. And this was like after uh, we did uh, Into the Woods. Like, if I still had my junior year attitude, I don't think I would have gotten this role. Yes. But, but when I came in with humility, I got called back for the lead role. Mm. And for like a couple other supporting roles. Mm-hmm. But mainly... I just focused on doing my best for each role and not like, you know, uh, going in going in there with the mindset that I'm going to get any role that I'm called back for. So after the callbacks, I felt really good about it. Like the best I've ever felt at a Shakespeare audition. Well, no, callbacks. And I got cast as Coriolanus, the main role, and I, it was such a relief. And <laughs> He did casting letters, mm-hmm. and I screamed <laughs> when I, wish, I when I got the role. I wish I did casting letters. That was um. That's I awesome. know casting letters are so awesome. They he told you like what you did good at the audition and what oh, and what you did well at callbacks, which is super helpful. And he just tells you like what you're going to be working on with this character. Mm-hmm. And I was so so excited, and it turned out a amazing production. Everyone, I think. I'm pretty sure everyone loved it, and we had a great ensemble and great production cast I, and creative team too. I've never done a, um, a Shakespeare audition before. They are so fun, honestly. Like any Shakespeare, any Shakespeare play that comes your way, mm-hmm. besides the histories, they're mm-hmm. boring. Mm-hmm. But like any comedy, any tragedy, or just like anything, anything like that, please audition. It's literally the best. You'll learn so much from it. Hey, Drew. Hey, yes. Do you know what time it is? It's oh, yes. time to talk about a movie that we just watched recently. The Way, Way Back. 
The Way Way Back. Now, what, what's your opinions on The Way Way Back? Or? The Way Way Back was such an interesting film. I mean, you could learn a lot from it because um, from what we observed and what we talked about before we watched it was that the adults act a lot like teenagers and they just couldn't grow up because they would like, I don't know, they would always like pull some all-nighters or they would always go to the beach, they would drink beer, they would have like a lot of people over. Get high and mm-hmm. a lot more things like that. Yeah. Um, cheat as well. and basically, yeah. Basically, the stereotypical, you know, uh, teenage summer mm-hmm. but with the adults and the teenagers are basically left to be the adults yes and it doesn't show that that often mm-hmm. it's more like context clues of it yes um but the sc- it was a good film mm-hmm. um i believe it won a um in some dance film festival as well yeah and my favorite character out of all of them has to be owen yeah owen Owen was the guy with the sunglasses. Right? Yes, yes, I agree. Owen was such a great character. It almost, uh, it was, it kind of made me cry. Uh, <laughs> like just like, just thinking about it now, I get, I just felt like his presence during the film. He was, he was the he best was, father figure. He was the, possibly like the greatest father figure in all of film. Not like the you know stepfather that you know. Mm-hmm. But like the thing is that like he he actually tried like to be like a father figure to this kid, even though like Owen st- still is a child, but he's like a responsible child, yeah. and he actually like knows how to like get along with anyone, yes. no matter what, even if it's like a, such a quiet kid, like yes. he knows how to get along with them. That's mm-hmm. what I love about his character is that he's not afraid to like socialize with anyone, and he understands like anyone's position. Now here's the thing. You know this. I've told you this before, but the audience doesn't. The whole film was started with this idea, with the idea of what the director had faced uh, with when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Now, it was quote unquote based on a true story, but the only true thing about the story was the question. This his, the director's stepfather has asked him, "What do you view view yourself?" And he's like, "I don't know how to view myself." And he's like, "No, no, just give me a number, one through ten. What do you view view yourself?" And the director said, well, I'll give myself a 6 out of 10, I guess. And the stepfather said, no, I give you a 3 out of 10. And the film starts off like that as yeah. well. And basically, the whole idea from his traumatic event of like that, mm-hmm. I, um, he got that idea of what if we use a sentence that hurts me the most and put it into the a whole concept into the film. Now you see Duncan literally raises himself up from a three to a six at the end of the. No, I give him a three. Uh, the More nine. Like an he's eight a or nine. nine. Yes, he's literally the most popular character at the end of the movie. Yeah, and he freaking gets a hot girl to kiss him. How sick is that? Yes, and he like literally he could ride a girly bike in style. Yeah. <laughs> and he could care less about like what the color of the bike is. Yes, and that made him great because. He, he started off the film awkward. He didn't mm-hmm. talk. Yeah, he was like such a huge introvert. Yes, and then at the end, he, his nickname is Poppin' Lockin'. Yeah. Everyone knows him. He is the party animal of the water. Yes, and even like in that one scene at the party where uh, they they sent off a person or something. Yeah. Or like because it was his farewell. Yeah. Like he had a water gun and he made like a new tradition. He like squirt, he squirt water at him and yes. then he made everyone like squirt water at this and, person. And he was the employee of the month. And they didn't use his real name. No, they used Pop and Lock. Pop and Lock. Yes. Like it was honestly like amazing. Honestly. Like how the plot like drives. Honestly, I feel like if we get an introvert and do like what we saw in the movie to mm-hmm. them, I honestly feel like there'd be like very. Yeah. 
extroverted instead of like putting them in their place because they're yeah. definitely a lot more than that yes. for sure just go up to someone that's quiet all the time and actually get to know them that mm-hmm. is that is the basic thing i i know i know podcast no, 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 or even like um i don't know um you can easily uh like easily like invite them to social activities yes because i feel like it's like they're like in the shell Mm-hmm. And if you like, I don't know, involve them a lot more, like the shell is going to crack just like an egg. And actually be yourself yeah. around. And they can actually like fill themselves uh, like with a lot of energy and positive vibes. Mm-hmm. And they can they can be more than just what they are in the shell. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's go to our last topic since we have about five minutes left. Ooh, how yeah. to spot a thespian. Oh, how to spot a thespian. Time to be a hunter. All right, so... You got your hunting rifle, so what are you going to do to when you spot the thespian? So, a great way to spot a thespian. Number one, if they are mouthing any words, then you know that they are reciting a monologue or a musical piece. And that's where you pull out the net and snatch it over them. <laughs> exactly. Or if they're tap dancing out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one's kind of a tricky one. Oh my goodness. Shout out to Parker. I see you tap dancing in the makeup room every single time. Them talking about plays and plays only. Oh, oh yes. That one. Or if they wear medieval clothing or any type of, you know, theaterish clothing, then they are definitely a thespian. Or if they talk and advertise a play. Obviously, they're a thespian. Who else would advertise a play? Oh, yes. Who else would? I mean, marketers for professional theatres. But they're count as thespians, too. Okay, that is very true. Sorry, we do this just for fun. We're not meaning, you know, any harshness. Yes, no offence to any or all of those thespians listening to this podcast right now. We love you all, yes, and we respect thespians. you. Snow College thespians. We're looking at you, Snow College thespians. 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 <laughs> anyway, so we're going to be going. We're going to see you guys next week. And we're at our, let's call it our studio. <laughs> oh, yes. Better than uh, my apartment with roommates. So. Oh, yes. Less noise and more quiet. And we can have about eight people on the show. So contact us if you want to be on the show next time. And we'll see you next time. Yes. Goodbye.